Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. When you envision retirement, what does it look like? What first comes to mind? Bucket list, freedom, the ability to do anything you want? What about the loss of identity, purpose, or relationships? Our lives are full of underrated transitions, and the transition from your career to retirement, in my mind, is one of the most critical transitions that we don't talk about enough. And I'm not talking from the financial side. I'm more concerned about the emotional side of retirement. Fortunately, Dr. Riley Moynes has done the work and built a framework that could help ease this burden of the retirement transition for those who have yet to begin the new journey, to those who are in the thick of it. Riley has built what he refers to as the four phases of retirement. Within these phases, a retiree can go from initial jubilation to extreme loss, trying new adventures and failing, and finally reaching breakthroughs. It is this last phase of breaking through that Riley has found most retirees to be the happiest. Through his journey of going through all four phases, Riley shares his story of what each phase was like for him and a few stories from the hundreds of people he's interviewed through his retirement research. Be sure to listen to the end where Riley talks about he, how he and his wife helped to develop roots and wings in raising their two sons. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Riley Moynes. So Dr. Riley Moynes, Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Hey, my pleasure. Nice to be here, Paul. Nice to chat with you. It was funny because we were we were talking before I hit record that like literally I just got off the phone with uh, one of my families like 15 minutes ago. And unfortunately, she's gone through a, a job transition mm-hmm. and she's in her mid-60s financially. She's pretty solid. And the biggest homework I gave to her was like, was your homework's going to be trying to figure out the emotional piece of preparing for retirement and going through the things that she needs to do to focus on herself and figure out, figuring out her next steps or what those may be and not the financial piece of it. Because I told him like, I've got the financial piece. I've got you. Like if something was going bad, I would just, I would tell you. Right. that that whole and she kept saying it over and over that, that mindset shift is really really hard, and I'm like I completely agreed with her. I think the the thing is when people I think think of financial advisors, they automatically think of the stereotype numbers first, exactly. and people don't realize the I think the real value with with a good financial advisor is that they will take you through these emotional transitions of life that we all, I think, underestimate with retirement being 
one of the biggest in this belief that, okay, I hate my job. I hate my career. I want out. Like you're just going to flip a switch and like retirement's going to be great. So my point to all that is like, I've been looking forward to this conversation with you for weeks now, but now it's even heightened with this new situation I have with my, my, my client. So, right, right. right. So let, let, let's first step back a few and, and have you talk to our audience about your background, who you are, what you do, because it's really interesting without giving too much away. You were a financial advisor that turned into an educator. So your, your story is, is a great one. So I'd, I'd love to have you share it. Okay. Well, actually, Paul, I was an educator that turned into a financial advisor who turned back into an educator. Uh, I spent uh, the first 20 years of my working career in, uh, in public education, uh, a couple of years, a few years in the classroom, uh, but mostly kind of administratively. Uh, and at the end of 20 years, I just decided I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. My, uh, my last role as a, uh, we, we refer to them as directors of education in, in, uh, in Canada for the most part, in Ontario at least. And I think you often refer to them as superintendents. Uh, but my job was essentially a political role. I was, I was, uh, I dealt with 19 trustees and my goal, uh, was to ensure that when it came to major recommendations that uh, that my administrative uh, partners brought to the board that we had a majority. And so it really turned into a political thing, uh, which I didn't enjoy, frankly, very much. And I decided uh, at the end of about uh, 20 years that, uh, you know, I was essentially an educator at heart. I had been moving further and further away from the classroom. And I thought, well, you know, that's what I love to do most of all. And so I decided that I would try to apply those skills in the financial services area, in the investment management area. And so I spent the next 20 years of my life uh, doing that, uh, building a practice and being part of, of some uh, corporate uh, uh, combinations and so on. But uh, essentially saw myself as an educator, helping people to make good financial decisions primarily uh, I wasn't aware of some of the psychological challenges that I would face. And it wasn't until I kind of stepped back from, from that part of my career. Uh, and I went through all the stuff that I've now tried to make sense of, but it didn't make any sense for me at all at that time. And I was really struggling. And that's really what kind of what led to my decision to try to find out more about this psychological uh, side of retirement, the challenges and the changes that almost inevitably come with it. Uh, I went into the literature and found that, as you've noted, that most of the literature focuses on the investments and the estate planning stuff, critically important for sure, but just not what I was looking for. And so I, I, I then decided, well, the best way to get at it would be to interview as many retirees as I could. And I interviewed dozens and dozens, probably close to hundreds. And I basically asked them the question, how do you squeeze all the juice out of retirement? And with that question, of course, I had a, you know, a million different answers and, and I had all kinds of data. And my next job then was to try to make sense of it all and to put it into some form of of uh, more easily understood uh, information. And that's essentially what good teachers do, I think. They, they take information that might at first seem to be complicated and all over the place and to kind of pull it together into some kind of meaningful pattern. And that's 
really what I tried to do. And I think that I've been relatively successful at, at packaging it and helping people to understand the four critical phases of retirement. And we're, we're going to get into those, but I, I want to actually go back to um, a piece in your story. Mm-hmm. And this often comes up with people and reaching tipping points, if you will, for lack of a better term, yeah. is how you kind of laid out that you were unhappy on the, on the educator side and then going into being an advisor. Mm-hmm. But for you, Riley, was there, was there some tipping point that kind of built up or one that was just like, you woke up one morning, I'm like, okay, I can't yeah. do this anymore. Yes. I've got to do something else because mm-hmm. I think that's, and you've probably experienced this with all the people that you've talked with that people, it, there's a real struggle to, to take that next step and make a change. You know, you, it may be building up in you for a while, but mm-hmm. people are, are deathly afraid of, of taking that, step in the unknown, I guess. Yeah. Well, especially if they don't know what to expect. And and really, when it comes to retirement, we don't know what to expect. Uh, but to go back to your question, was there a tipping point? I guess there were two tipping points. Uh, we, uh, I spent my last five years as director of education in Thunder Bay, Ontario, uh, way up there north. I was going to say, that sounds really north. It, it sounds... <laughs> It is north. It's north of Minneapolis. It's north of Duluth. It's it's north. And um, uh, there came so one of the tipping points was when about the middle of May, we had yet another snowstorm, and I had to I had to cancel bus transportation and close the schools in the middle of May, and the snow is covering our our windows in in our home. Uh, it was it was a blizzard. It was horrible, and my dear wife, who uh, who had she was finally kind of at the end of the rope as well, and she <laughs> said, "You know, we this we we've got to we've got to move on from this." So that was that was part of it, but but the other part of it, the more political part of it, came uh, when we were um, we were forced to close schools, as so many school boards were were forced to do back at that period of time. It was the single best way, most economical way to, to frankly save money. And so, um, uh, and of course, these, these school closings were always fraught with tension and, and, and acrimony. And my experience was that the, um, the best school in the world is the one that's about to be closed. So what would happen would be that for years and years, nobody cared about the school. But when it was identified as one that we were possibly going to have to close, well, all of the graduates came out of the woodwork and they said this community could not possibly exist without this school. This school must stay open. And so there was one evening when one of our trustees, a a wonderful old gentleman, he was paid a visit uh, by a lady who uh, lived in in the area where the school was to be closed. And uh, she came knocking on his door and he invited her in and she explained all the reasons why the school should stay open. And as he explained it to me later, she actually cried on my rug, Riley. She cried on my rug. And so when the time came for the vote to be taken and he had indicated to me in the past that he recognized the need to close this school, he voted against it. And we lost the motion the motion to close the school was lost. Hundreds of hours 
had been put into it, and it was a bad political decision, but it was a political decision that was made. So that was, from a political point of view, that was the tipping point for me. I just didn't want to live with this anymore. This had nothing to do with education. This was pure emotion, and I just couldn't carry on with that. Well, good. That's uh, that's that's a that's a really good story. <laughs> oh, oh, stayed with me all these years. <laughs> so, I I first found out about you and your work on these four phases of retirement from a gentleman by the name of Dennis Mosley Williams, and I've had Dennis on the show uh, probably close to almost two years ago. He was one of my first guests, I think, mm-hmm. and um, he had he had posted something on our on our community site. Um, which happened to be your TED Talk, which has been downloaded like over a million times now. Um, And I'll be sure to link to that in our show notes. So audience, be sure to check that out. But why don't you start with um, what is this, these four phases of retirement that you talk about in your TED Talk and how Um, they relate to getting mentally prepared for retirement? Right. Right. Thank you, Paul. I'm happy to do that. Um, phase one. Yes, I I, I I I posit that there are four phases of retirement that almost everybody goes through. Uh, there are some exceptions, and we can talk about that later on if you like. But but overwhelmingly, people go through these four phases of retirement. So the first phase is what I call the retirement phase. It typically lasts for about a year, perhaps two years. It's a time for checking off bucket list items that may have been developed over a period of years that you just couldn't get to because you didn't have time or the resources. Well, now you probably you have the time at least and hopefully the resources. Um, it's a time when you uh, when there's no set routine for a change for once in your life. You love it. You've been guided. You've been your, your life has been dictated by a routine. And uh, we don't always like that, but now we have an opportunity to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, if we want, get up in the morning, go to bed at night, whenever you want, no set routine. We love that for a while. And for most people, phase one represents their view of an ideal retirement. Freedom, you know, uh, holidays, uh, walks along the beach, travel, golf, all that stuff. It rep- it's, it's freedom. And for most people, that's what they imagine the ideal retirement looks like. But it only lasts for a couple of years. And then we start to feel bored. We start to uh, actually kind of miss that routine. Uh, there, There must be something genetically wired into us that requires a routine of some sort for most of the time. And we find ourselves asking the question, like, is that all there is to retirement? I thought it was supposed to be like this, but now I'm I'm bored. And we put that in the context of the fact that for many people who are probably watching and listening today, many baby boomers, we're going to live up to one third of our lives in retirement, quite, quite likely 30 years of retirement. And when you're starting to feel bored after a couple of years, you, you know, this is a problem. And when we start to to recognize that boredom and start to ask, is that all there is? Then we begin to move into phase two. And phase two 
is when we finally come to recognize the fact that we have suffered five significant, almost unavoidable losses, all primarily associated with retirement. These losses are really significant. We lose our routine. Now, we, we didn't necessarily want to be guided by this routine, but there's something in us that, that needs a routine most of the time. We miss that routine. We miss, or for many people, this, the, the second loss is one of identity because many people, males in particular, identify with their jobs or their professions or their callings. And when that is taken away from them, there is a tremendous loss of identity. And in many of my interviews, I heard people who were former teachers, accountants, lawyers, doctors, still referring to themselves as such, but they weren't. But they identify so badly with it. They, they don't want to lose that, but it is lost. And ultimately, we're just a guy or a gal in the street. We lose, thirdly, we lose relationships. In many cases, relationships, work relationships have built up over years. They become lifelong friendships and all of a sudden they're gone. And yes, I know I've done it and I know lots of others have done it. You know, you can still go for coffee with the guys or the gals uh, once a month or so, but it doesn't take you long to realize that they're still doing their thing. You're an outsider and that doesn't really carry on for very long. For many people, then there's there is also a loss of purpose because, again, we associate our jobs uh, in many cases with a purpose and, it, and it's meaningful to us. And all of a sudden it's gone. And then finally, the fifth significant loss that many people experience is a loss of power, because depending on their 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 uh, success, perhaps, or their experience over a number of years, they may have become responsible for personnel or, or for a budget. And all of a sudden, it's gone. So the problem here is that we don't see these losses coming. But they all happen at the same time. And it's kind of like, poof, gone. And it is very, very traumatic for most people. Now, at the same time, and to make things even worse in phase two, and phase two is really the bottom of the barrel for most of us. At the same time, there are the three Ds. Now, they're not necessarily associated directly with retirement, but they tend to happen about this time of our life. So there's, there's uh, the likelihood of depression. The Mayo Clinic, the world famous Mayo Clinic, has concluded that there is a 40% likelihood that on retirement, we are going to experience aspects of clinical depression. 40% likelihood. Depression is, is not unknown at all at this time of our lives. Maybe associated with, with retirement, but, but not necessarily. Uh, secondly, the second D is, is decline, both physical and mental decline. It just happens. And thirdly, there is a, a significant increase in divorce at, at this time of life. It, it was astounding to me to learn this, but a much larger uh, uh, likelihood of divorce in our 50s and 60s than I would have imagined. 
Do you think that's because, and I, this, this is actually a concern that I actually, I started reading research on this too, Riley. Mm. It got me really concerned, especially with, with the families I work with that are in their fifties and sixties. I know how hard it is raising my set of triplets plus one right now Mm -hmm. that Teresa and I, my wife, we hardly have, sometimes we're just passing ships in the night. It's really hard to communicate. And we're, we're so busy raising our kids, trying to run the family. Yeah. They get all grown. And then you look at your spouse or significant other and like, who are you? (laughs) Like, where did you go? Yeah. Well, that, that seems to be that, that, that mean that that's, that's a reality. So when you, when you put it all together, when you put these five losses associated with retirement, plus the three D's that are associated probably with this time of our life, you can appreciate how phase two is a very, very difficult time. And an, another astounding figure that, that I, I, I've come across the highest, the highest rate of suicide in North America today is men over 75. Shocking. Wow. Shocking. So phase two is a very difficult time for many, many people. Fortunately, however, (laughs) fortunately, however, at some point, we say to ourselves or our spouses or someone Hey, I can't go on like this. I don't want to spend the rest of my life, which may well be 30 years or so, feeling like this. And that's a good sign. When that happens, we've turned a corner to phase three, which is the trial and error phase. That's when we ask ourselves questions like, hey, um, what, what can I do to, 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 feel that I'm contributing again, to make my life meaningful again, the way it used to be. Uh, What is it that's going to make me want to get up again in the morning and kind of get involved? And as I say, that's a good sign that we're starting to ask those questions. And so trial and error involves then trying different things that we think might appeal to us, that might help us make our our lives feel meaningful again. But again, I, I have to point out that Trial and error, lots of error, lots of false starts, quite likely, in phase three. I could probably cite a dozen false starts that I personally experienced in phase three. Uh, But the the important thing is that you've got to keep going. You've got to keep trying because if you don't, what's the option? The option is quite likely slipping back into phase two. And that is not a pretty sight. Not a pretty sight. So trial and error is phase three. You've got to keep at it to find something that will match the things that you do well, things that you love to do, things that have led you to success in the past. These are the kinds of things that we need to keep working hard on. That's phase three. Phase four. Not everyone reaches phase four. In fact, I estimate that probably... And I hate to, I, it's a figure that's lower than I would like it to be. But I believe that about 60 to 65% of retirees get to phase four. Some people stay in phase one, some unfortunately in phase two. They may be part of that statistic that I cited. Some stay in phase three, some kind of move back and forth among them. But those people who 
reach phase four are among the happiest people I have ever, ever known. It's almost like they're vibrating with, with excitement. They, they know what it is that what makes them want to get up in the morning again, and they can't wait for the morning to come up and do it. Uh, I've spoken to so many people, one just last week at a presentation that I was making where the fellow was saying, I, I, I don't have enough hours in the day to, all, to do all the things I want to do. I do this, I do this, I volunteer. I, it's wonderful to be associated with, with those people for sure. So um, it's worth the effort, but it requires asking ourselves some tough questions like what what is it that I love to do? What is it that I do really well? And what are some of the things that, that I do that have led me to success in the past? And so by thinking about these things, and frankly, we're not really very good at introspection. It's right. like we just don't take the time for this, but you have to take the time to break through to phase four in my experience. And when you can kind of, recall and and when you are become more aware of the things that you love to do and do well and have led to success in the past those are the kinds of things that that can direct your attention to a particular area so i call it not retiring in the traditional sense but kind of rewiring taking those skills abilities passions and perhaps applying them in a different area than you might have before but they can still give you tremendous satisfaction. So what? So I may have missed this. But what do you What do you call phase four? Do you have a name for it? Well, phase four is when we kind of break through and reinvent. Okay. Break through and reinvent. So, thank you for laying all that out. <laughs> so now I get to my million dollar question: yeah. How, Riley, did you come up with? With, the, with this, like, yeah. what was the, what, I guess, walk us through, like, what the process was in, in your, in your thoughts of, yeah. of how you actually came up with these four. Okay. Well, uh, again, Paul, thank you for asking. I, I appreciate your interest in the work that I've been doing. Um, it is very exciting to me and I, and I do hope it's making a difference. Yeah. I find it fascinating. And I know the audience will as well. I think this is, I think this is a very, as I mentioned in our kind of our intro and talking to, to each other it's a very undiscussed topic that to your point especially in this phase two of losses where people mm. can literally like lose themselves yeah. it's it's really critical yeah yeah so i guess my answer would be um as a as a teacher um uh, i know <clears throat> pardon me i know that a significant part of of the role is to take information that might at first appeared to be complicated, difficult, unconnected, and somehow to kind of bring it all together in some kind of a, of a framework or a context that can help that, that can help make it more understandable for people. So I went through all of these phases, but I didn't I didn't know what they represented. I didn't know what they were. And for me, one of the worst things was that I didn't know that there was another step. I, I was, I was, I mean, I, I, I love phase one, but it didn't last very long. I had real challenges in phase two. And in fact, 
part of those challenges were what inspired me to try to find out more because it didn't make sense to me at all. But as, as, I, as I got more and more of these uh, uh, input from, from people and, and their, their stories, I began to develop a kind of a pattern that, that made sense in my experience, but also as I kind of fed it back to people, <clears throat> made sense for them as well. And one of the most gratifying things that I've, I've seen with respect to the TED Talk is hundreds and hundreds of comments who have said things like, dead on, that's, exact, that's me, that's what happened to me. And so it, it gives me increased confidence that, that the four phases do resonate with people, they can relate to them. It made sense for me and it helped me. And the big thing for me in making my presentations, whether it be the TED Talk or whether it be my book of the same of the same title, is that people can see that there is that that there is an answer, that there is uh, a way out of some of the things that they're feeling, and I hope that they understand that it just it requires effort. You can't just sit by and let it let things happen to you. You've got to make it happen. Or else there's a very good chance that you could just find yourself mired in phase two or three or wherever it might be. I'm actually glad that you you brought us back here because I, I wanted to ask a question on that is with the hundreds of people that you've talked with regarding, you know, putting this together. Yeah. How, how do people find their, their, their way through this. And I, let me try to even be a little bit more specific. Like it kind of goes back to how I ask you, okay, what was your tipping point when you decided to leave education and go into being a financial advisor? Right. Is, is there a, is there a silver bullet or secret sauce that people can take away that, that I don't want to use the word forces, but nudges them that's probably the right word, nudges them yeah. to make the time for themselves. Because going back to the example I shared with my client earlier, that was a one thing I really stressed to her was like, you, you've got to make the time to do this for you. Yes. This is your life. Yes. Yes. If there's a silver bullet, uh, and I, I wouldn't presume that that's what I'm offering, but for me, when there is a framework it's helpful to me. So to me, the biggest contribution that I can make is to provide people with a framework that represents a very high likelihood of what they will experience. So for people who are retired, I ask them to determine for themselves, what phase are you in? And depending on where that is, you know, what do you need to do to, to move forward? Assuming you want to move forward. I mean, I have met a, uh, a very small number of people who say that they are blissfully happy in phase one. And who am I to challenge that? I, uh, to me, there's not much. I mean, it's all it's all it's very egocentric. It's all about me. And there's a time for that. But one of the major things that I discovered in my interviews, uh, Paul, was that one of the things that kept coming up was that people um in one way or another, they receive the greatest sense of, of accomplishment or achievement or, or gratification out of providing service to others. 
And that's a, that's a research. Uh, all the research I read on on happiness, on yeah. fulfillment, it always goes. It always comes back to that. Like Absolutely. being of service to others yeah. is one of the the easiest ways to make your life happier. Absolutely. So I mean, it's good for everyone, right? You're helping yeah. yourself. You're you're helping others. Tremendous sense of, of 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 accomplishment in doing that, and I mean, it doesn't have to be. Sometimes when people talk about service to others, they assume it's a volunteer kind of thing. Well, it could be, but there's nothing wrong with being paid for providing service to others either. You're still providing. You're still providing service, and and so people, I think, should maybe look beyond uh, the concept that that implies that it might just be a volunteer kind of thing that that brings them this this sort of uh, gratification or sense of, of satisfaction yeah so, so I, oh go ahead I'm no, sorry I was just, I was just gonna sum up by saying Paul I think that that uh, by offering a framework it provides hope for people people who are retired can place themselves where they are for people who not who are not yet retired, I find it, they have told me that it's helpful in giving them a heads up as to what to expect. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. And, and again, this is why this is going to be a required listening homework assignment for, for that client because I, I, with what you're talking about, it nails everything that she's going through right now. So um, let, me, let me kind of shift back and, and ask, because your work is getting well known. Obviously, to have a TED talk get downloaded over a million times uh, is pretty remarkable. How did that come about? Like, how did the TED talk come about? And yeah. did it surpri- has it surprised you on how viral it's gone? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's um, yeah. I mean, who knows how these things happen? But <laughs> uh, at some point, someone had been given a copy of my book, The Four Phases of Retirement. Uh, they happened to know someone who knew someone who was involved with the uh, TEDx organization in Vancouver. And they uh, suggested to this person who is in some way connected that this might be an interesting topic. Uh, they, um, they, their overall theme is uh, ideas worth sharing. Mm-hmm. And yep. they felt that this was an idea worth sharing. So I was contacted and I was asked if I would be interested in in applying to possibly be uh, uh, a TED speaker. And um, this was back in 2021, or I, I guess actually late uh, 2020. And so it would have been, perhaps it would have happened in 2021. Uh, long story short, I was selected as one of the 12 speakers for 2021. But because of COVID, I was unable to travel to Vancouver to deliver the talk. So that was uh, a discouragement, a disappointment. Uh, they came back the next year, you know, would you like to consider it again? And I thought, I don't, do I really want to go through all that again? <laughs> it had been, it had been a grind and, and hundreds of hours in, involved, but wonderful coaching. Uh, anyway, again, long story short, I was accepted as one of the 12 and I was able to travel this time, so the actual presentation took place in in uh, uh, mid mid February, and then uh, about uh, it wasn't until I guess uh, late um, late May that it was uh, released on on uh, on YouTube. 
Uh, I'm as shocked as anybody else by the by the reception. I mean, I'm very gratified, of course, that it has resonated so widely. Uh, I've spoken to people all, really all around the world, South Africa, uh, Iceland, uh, Australia, New Zealand, the US, Canada. Uh, it's been very gratifying to to speak with people who who uh, who who are doing similar kind of work or who felt that it resonated. It, it's been wonderful. But you know, you you put these things out there and you really have no idea as to how they'll be received. And so uh, again, I I um, uh, clearly the topic resonates. It's timely, and um, I'm just so grateful that we may have been able to make a bit of a contribution along the way. So has it changed your marriage at all? Like, is is knowing that your your wife is your 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 wife is, or you're now married to a, a rock star? You know, <laughs> I, I, like, what's no, your wife's she, take on this? <laughs> she keeps me grounded. Uh, you know, do the dishes right, take out the garbage. Come on, nothing's changed here at all. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't impacted in that regard at all. Thanks. Well, I, I definitely think that uh, your ideas, your framework, I think that's uh, the, the really great way to put this in an idea is completely yeah. worth uh, spreading. So um, I'm glad that you made the time for me and, and, and my, my audience. Um, so that kind of brings me to my, my closing question that I ask all of our guests is yeah. in talking about your, your family. Yeah. What is and typically, a, a lot of uh, our listeners are our parents, whether they're you know yeah. older parents that have kids off to college or now are grown adults or yeah. like me that that are in the grade school, middle school years and or you know have kids that are infants. But uh, yeah, what is the best thing about being a parent? Uh, you know, I thought about that uh, that question, and um, I would uh, both of uh, we have we have two sons, both of whom are approaching 50 years of age. It's hard to hard to fathom that one, I'll tell you. Um, but I would say that the best thing about being a parent in in our experience is that we always tried to to give our kids roots and wings, roots and wings. And my wife and I kept. That was kind of a mantra that we used over and over again. And we, so we, we tried to judge almost everything that we did, every kind of major initiative with the kids um, against that, that measure. And is this something that's going to give them roots? Is it going to give them wings? And so we're very gratified by the fact that we think that we can see both of our sons uh, having roots and, and having, having taken wing and, uh, we have one son who lives uh, way across the country, and we have another son who has uh, embarked on a. He's a financial advisor uh, as well. He could have taken over my practice, but he told me one day he didn't want to work with old people like <laughs> like I worked with, and uh, so he started uh, absolutely uh, from ground zero. And uh, he works now almost exclusively with professional athletes mostly hockey players, most, mostly NHL hockey players and coaches. Uh, and uh, so uh, he has his own roots and, uh, and we've uh, given them wings and we're, yeah, that's been the most gratifying for us. Well, I, I love in, in the almost two years I've, I've had the show now, I love answering that, asking that question because mm -hmm. the, the answers are always unique, always diversified. And I mm -hmm. always 
take away something from that. And obviously this is no different because I just wrote down roots and wings. So can't wait to share that one with Teresa, but uh, Dr. Riley Moines, thank you so much for spending the time uh, with us on the emotional balance sheet podcast. And really thank you for the work that you've done and putting together this framework. Um, Be sure I will be in for our audience. Be sure to check out the show notes with this episode the link to Riley's uh, TED Talk and also his book, The Four Phases, will be in there. So definitely um, uh, look at that information. So Riley, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.